I'll read the chapter and then we'll consider from verse 13 to the end of the chapter. James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the old body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, sorry, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its great instructions to us this morning. We pray that as we consider it, you may help us all, Lord, to heed to your instructions. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to what you've written. And help my hearers to reverently be attentive to what your word says. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you make decisions concerning the future 
of the church how do you know that the people you appoint to be elders and deacons are truly qualified to serve because if you choose unqualified men to serve 20 to 30 years from now for example this church will not be there this is the issue we are tackling this morning the issue of wisdom and it's an issue that James is certainly concerned about and probably we have an issue of leadership in James chapter 3 because as we began verse 1 there's a warning and the warning is that they should that something ought to stop James is warning that not many of you should become teachers my brothers and we saw the danger there the danger of the tongue the tongue can cause us to be judged verse 1 the tongue can cause us to stumble verse 2 the tongue um, can cause us sorry can cause us uh, sorry the tongue can control us that is verse 3 to verse I guess verse 5 and last time we looked at the power of the tongue from verse 5b to verse 12 and we saw that the tongue is destructive can be destructive the tongue can be hypocritical with it we say blessings with it we can say curses and this morning we come to verse 13 of chapter 3 and I ask again how will you know if someone is qualified to be a teacher or to be a deacon or to serve in some sort of capacity in the church you will need wisdom wisdom is the ability to understand and to apply God's word in your life as you see this morning this is wisdom that comes because of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ it is an active faith consistent in the way that it produces real wisdom and so how does a biblically qualified person look like what do you look for when you're appointing your elders do you look for someone who can speak eloquently do you look for someone who has a PhD do you look for someone who is zealous or old how do you know a person has true wisdom brethren wisdom is one of the things that it really gets difficult to have a grasp on verse 13 begins with what we might call a wisdom challenge James is giving us here a challenge of whether we can know we have wisdom from above or wisdom from below and he begins with a question who is wise and understanding among you it's a question of whether there are wise men in our midst this morning and indeed whether we truly know whether they are wise and it's easy for us if this letter was read to us as a church who is wise and understanding among you it's easy for all of us to think that we are wise 
and understanding. It's easy for us even to raise our hands. I am wise and understanding. Or to think I am too humble to raise my hand because I know that I am wise. You see, being wise is not to say that you have gray hair. Being wise is not to say that you have intellect. Being wise is having the ability to apply God's truth to real life. That is what it means to be a wise person. The ability to take God's revelation from scripture and to know how to make that revelation to intersect with real situations in daily life. You see, that is why right doctrine doesn't automatically mean that you're wise. It doesn't mean that because you read your Bible every day, you're wise. Wisdom comes when the word of God intersects with the circumstances of your life and you're able to apply the knowledge of God's word. So wisdom simply is the ability to apply God's truth to real life. So the, wise, the word wise there in the Jewish context refers to someone in the context of a teacher, a rabbi. And we're not talking here about theoretical wisdom. We're talking here about something that is very practical. And then the understanding. Understanding has the idea of an expert, someone who has deep knowledge on something, someone who is an intellect, someone who has insight, someone who is learned in a specific discipline. How do you know if someone has great insight, has great understanding? James is saying, to be a person of wisdom, you need to have insight. And this morning, I've titled the sermon, True Wisdom. True Wisdom. And the first thing we see there in verse 13 is that true wisdom is demonstrated in your conduct. You see, this morning, James is probing us. He's asking us who is wise and understanding among you. Step forward, and James is ready to analyze the legitimacy of your claim of whether you are wise and understanding. And he says in verse 13, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. True wisdom is demonstrated in your conduct. And notice it says, let him show. Meaning, it is something that we can see, we can perceive. It is not something that you simply listen to. Someone cannot just come and say to you, I'm a wise person. He says there in verse 13, he must show in his works in the meekness of his wisdom. It's not mere talk. It must be shown in conduct. And it must be shown in his character, in the way he speaks, in the way he conducts himself, in the way he tackles issues. If you are a wise person, it will be shown in your lifestyle, by what you do, not simply what you teach. And so we can see wisdom 
in a person's conduct, in a person's deeds. So wisdom is something very visible. A person who claims to be wise, but it is not shown in his conduct, is lying. And you see here that wisdom and understanding looks like something. It must be demonstrated by your works, by your deeds. So this wisdom will always lead you to a good life. In the same way salvation will lead you to good works. Don't forget, as we continue to look at James, that James connects our work with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot claim to be a true Christian while you do not engage in good works. And yet we've seen also that it's not the good works that makes us to be Christians. It is the good works that proves, that are an evidence that indeed we are Christians. If a person says he has faith, Uh, chapter 2 verse 17 so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead and then he says verse 18 but someone will say you have faith and I have works and he says show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works so we see here that in our, Christ our Christian life is visible it can be perceived. Our faith can be known by our works and people can see and vouch for you whether you're a true believer. And so he says here that we are able to know we are wise and understanding by our good conduct, says there, let him show by his works. And then he says, in the meekness of wisdom. What does it mean to be meek? It has the idea of humility of gentleness, of being considerate of other people. True wisdom will always lead to humility. A kind of meekness that should not be confused with weakness. You say, what then is true biblical meekness? Biblical meekness is not a lack of power. It is power under control. Biblical meekness is power under control. It's a picture of a very strong man who is able to bridle his strength. It's a picture of a very strong horse that is willing to submit to the rider. So meekness is the opposite of arrogance. And this is what James is telling the early church, that true meekness is a demonstration of our behavior. Wise people, if you read the, read the book of Proverbs, wise people are always humble people. When you're not humble, you're proud. When you're proud, the book of Proverbs call you, calls you who? A fool. So wisdom and humility go right together. You demonstrate your good conduct with humility that comes from wisdom. So the spiritual character of a man is more important than what he does. It's better to have a godly leader here at TRBC, but they are less skilled in the eyes of the world. Because wisdom 
is demonstrated by means of a good conduct. It is something that we can see. It means that this person is consistent in their good works. And that demonstrates that he is a wise person. So good conduct is a demonstration of wisdom because the wise men morally make upright decisions. This person doesn't make wise decisions once, but it is a lifestyle. It is consistent. It is a habit in their life so that people can claim and say this person is wise based on his conduct. So the work and the conduct of a person demonstrate that they are truly wise and they are wise at heart. This is shown with good conduct that is infused with humility. And the aspect of humility is important there because when this person does good work, he's not puffed up. He does it with a spirit of humility. He understands that before God, he's nothing. And he lives in the fear of God. And out of that comes humility. So you can see your true faith shown in good works done with a spirit of humility. And so James goes to probe further. In verse 14, he's contrasting between two different kinds of wisdom. It's interesting that in verse 14, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. It's interesting here, he does not begin with true wisdom. He begins with wisdom from below. And you see that it's not a matter of what you say. It's a matter of who you are. It doesn't matter what you say. It is your conduct, your character. And so we see the second topic there. The second point is the wisdom from below. And from verse 14 to 16, we see that he refers to it as earthly wisdom. So the wisdom from below. Verse 14 says... But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Notice the three enemies there. He says that the wisdom from this world is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. It's the three enemies of the believer. The world, the flesh, and the devil. You notice the parallel there. The wisdom that comes from, that does not come from above, is first of all earthly. To mean that it is from the world. And then second, it is sensual. Or it is unspiritual. To mean that it comes from the flesh. And then thirdly, it says that it is demonic to mean that it comes from the devil. The three enemies of the believer, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
So under the topic, the wisdom from below, I want us to see the character of the wisdom from below. What is its character? It says the first thing there, the wisdom from below is earthly. What does it mean? It means that it is earthbound. It is characterized as coming from this evil age. There's nothing heavenly about it. It's a wisdom that has no appreciation for heavenly realities. It's a wisdom that is only concerned for the things of this world. The natural man does not understand the things of God. He's only interested with the natural things. Philippians chapter 3 verse 19, Paul says their God is their appetite. And so, and regenerate people, they are used to it. They sit around like we used to do before we became believers. And what do we think about? We think about making money. We think about how we can be happy, how we can entertain ourselves. That is the wisdom that comes from below. It is earthly. It belongs to the world. It has nothing to do with spiritual or heavenly realities. Then secondly, he says the, the second character of the wisdom from below, he says it is unspiritual. And sadly, this is sometimes the kind of wisdom that is embraced by leaders in the church. Unspiritual. It is it's indeed a horrible thing. You find men who are theologically trained, they know their Bible, they've probably even written books, but they are wise in the wrong way. Probably you've heard of church growth movement. They say that if you want to plant a church, you go from door to door asking people what they want in a church. So, so you go to someone, they say, I want soft music. Someone else says, I want to be entertained. I want a short sermon. And then you come to plant a church and you tailor your church based on what people want. And so over time, you preach. Someone says, I'm offended when, I, when, when you speak about sin. And what do they do? You stop preaching about sin. Someone else says, I want to hear messages about positive thinking. What do you do? You start preaching about positive thinking. Someone else says, your sermon is too long. You start preaching, they say, a sermonette. It's either a salmon or not a salmon. I don't know where the word salmonette came from. <laughs> so it's like a little devotional. And so you tailor your ministry based on people's opinion. And this is the unspiritual wisdom. It's sensual. People do not want to submit to God's word. You stop preaching the word of God. And there are men who have embraced this kind of wisdom. They have changed their preaching and their teaching. And then thirdly, the third character is says it is demonic. Third character of the wisdom from below is demonic. 
We're told that there's a faith that demons have and they tremble in in James chapter chapter 2 verse 19 you believe that God is one you do well even the demons believe and shudder the idea here is the wisdom of this world the thinking pattern of this world is ungodly it is thinking in a satanic way it is the thinking of the devil himself and sadly the attack of the devil is very subtle because we can see here that it is demonstrated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition often when someone demonstrate this kind of character we don't often think that it is satanic it is demonic the powers of darkness are at work not in a spectacular way but we see here that it is demonstrated in what bitter jealousy selfish ambition and he says that wisdom is not from above So when this kind of wisdom rules in our heart where we want to have our way we are forceful, we are aggressive guess what, you are under the clutches of the evil one that is demonic earthly wisdom and so the, this wisdom proceeds from the evil spirits it proceeds from the fallen angels proceeds from demons because angels, uh, fallen angels are are agents disguised as ministers of the light but in fact they are ministers of darkness and so man is very clever very smart and is able to combine all this earthly wisdom to deceive men and you see very clearly here that this wisdom has nothing to do with God Often we don't always think, uh, look things this way because we go around doing our own businesses in our blindness, in, our, in the blindness of our eyes and we don't often see that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, uh, ambition is demonic because this is a person who in the context of a church seeks to change the structure of the church this is a person who keeps believers from growing and he keeps non-believers from knowing the truth of the gospel so that is the character of earthly wisdom and then verse 14 and 16 we see something else again we see the motivation for earthly wisdom but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth this is not the wisdom that comes down from above but it is earthly and spiritual demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there will be disorder and every vile practice you may wonder what motivates a pastor to start a church based on people's opinion what is the motivation 
we see there that it is motivated by two things jealousy he says there and the aspect of jealousy means zeal and you may wonder zeal should be a good thing but the idea here is you're zealous for evil things you're zealous for for things that are self oriented so we can be motivated for wrong things and that is called jealousy it's called envy some misguided zeal that destroys unity this is a kind of bitter jealousy harsh jealousy that motivates these people it's a desire to promote one's opinion above others it's a desire to have your way and if things don't go your way you fight this has to do with imposing your opinion on others imposing your preferences your interest on others and making your preferences to be your chief concern you're always fighting for your rights this is the idea of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that comes from the world and it may look like true wisdom really it looks like true wisdom because people may see you and think that you have influence that you are a leader this happens in the political arena someone is a socialist someone is a capitalist and what do they seek to do they seek to impose their views on others and it can happen in the church it may look like leadership because of the deceitfulness of their heart it is easy for you to think that someone is a leader yet in fact is imposing his opinion on you he may say that i have influence but what in fact is doing is misleading and intimidating others that kind of wisdom does not belong does not come from heaven jem says do not be proud with such kind of wisdom don't be proud with people who always seek to have their way who seek to intimidate others and this kind of character was not foreign in the early church because this is a letter written to the church by James and it's obvious that this was evident in the character of its leaders so jealousy is the motivation and then he says also selfish ambition selfish ambi ambition is the idea that you're getting people around you you're getting people to think the way that you think and you make sure that you're with them on the winning side you want them to do things your way and you may say you're an ambitious guy but truly what is hidden there is selfish ambition you may wonder why do people do such things in the context of James is speaking to teachers why do preachers do this people do this because for example in the context of James it's because there are people who are teaching who are preaching the gospel and they are doing it for the wrong reasons and all of us ought to be very careful if you think that the lord has called you into ministry or to serve as a deacon 
you should ask yourself the motivation for doing it. What is your ambition? Is it to, to glorify Christ and to advance his kingdom? Or is there something else going on? Am I trying to advance my own personal agenda? Am I trying to get people to do things the way I want? We should ask ourselves such questions. How do you know then that your motive is pure? You may know your motive is pure if you had hoped to be appointed in the office, for example, in the office in the church, and people did not appoint you. If you're selfish, if you're self-centered, you'll feel bad, you'll be angry. Why? Because the motivation was yourself. But if you think you're called to serve God, and it is for the glory of God, if people do not appoint you, if people do not recognize your gifts, you know what? You know that God is in control. It's God who has called me. And at his appointed time, he will bring it to fruition. You will not be saddened. You will not overreact because you have no envy. You have no bitterness. And that is the sad reality today that people call themselves into ministry and they do not examine their motives. And so this we see very clearly that when earthly wisdom is characterized in their life, we know that they have selfish ambition. You see, that is the motivation, the motivation for earthly wisdom, jealousy and selfish ambition. And then the verse 14, we still see again the manifestation. Verse 14 says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do not boast. Do not glory. The idea of arrogance. Arrogance to seek to have everything your way. If you're a pastor and you've decided to carry out a construction project in the church and you've not informed the members, so money has been exchanged, the construction work is beginning, people are coming to church and wondering what is going on. You see, there's an aspect of arrogance there. Why would someone do such a thing without first approving the church? And that is the manifestation of earthly wisdom. Arrogance. He says there is lying against the truth. And then we see the result of it. Verse 16. So James is not done humbling us this afternoon. Verse 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The result of it. The result of earthly wisdom. It looks to you that you're winning and you're hiding behind phrases like you're, an, 
you, you have influence you're an ambitious guy but truly we see the result there disorder he says there's a sense of unruliness chaos around you this is a kind of wisdom that does not produce peace it produces chaos chaos in the relationship in the church in the family and so these people think they have influence yet they intimidate people and they fail to recognize that they are under demonic illusion because that wisdom is demonic it says also there that it produces every vile practice end of verse 16 so you see the result there will be disorder and then it says they it does produce every vile practice This means that it produces and it ruins people. It comes with every kind of sin. And this is the kind of wisdom that God never blesses. And then thirdly, let us see the wisdom from above, verse 17 to 18. The wisdom from above. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The first thing there, wisdom from above is pure. It doesn't mean that it is the first on the list, it means that it is the most important. This means no false motive, no hidden agenda complete moral and spiritual integrity we're talking here about people who stand up to preach the gospel with no hidden agenda they preach the word because they believe that is the word and they want to honor God so the reason for their motivation for preaching the gospel is to honor Christ that is pure uh, that wisdom is pure secondly he says that it is peaceable. If you pre prefer peace loving. And it has the idea of one who prefers peace over war. We know that we should always seek peace over war, except when there is doctrinal purity at stake. So purity comes first, and then peace peace does not come before purity there should be purity first for people to be at peace doctrinal purity for example for people to be at peace and then thirdly gentle gentle means to be courteous to be considerate to be kind it respects the feelings of others so that people in a church setup can have different views on different issues but that is okay there is room for disagreement but disagreement in a gentle way in a respectable way 
because we need to respect difference in some ideologies especially things that are non-essential to us and then fourthly he says that peace is open to reason or other versions will say reasonable and it's the idea that you're open to the ideas of others it is the opposite of stubbornness of obstinacy it's the idea that you're a reasonable person someone wants to discuss with you an issue and you are open to it so we ought to listen we ought to be reasonable a good man is a reasonable man willing to yield not stubborn easily persuaded teachable compliant it's the opposite of obstinacy and disobedience and it's used to describe a person who submits to military discipline willingly and then fifthly he says full of mercy full of mercy and good fruit the wisdom from above is full of compassion and doing good things for other people in need it's full of mercy it means that you're concerned for people who suffer and should be manifested in forgiving one another being compassionate to those who are suffering being kind Jesus says in Matthew 5:7 blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and then sixthly heavenly wisdom the wisdom from above is impartial or unwavering it means there is no division this wisdom is consistent you're treating all people equally there's no favoritism you don't treat people in a special way because probably they are they have money or they are charming or they are charismatic no you teach treat everyone in the same way and then seventh and the last thing he says sincere heavenly wisdom is sincere it is without hypocrisy you have nothing to hide everything is laid on the table utterly sincere genuine you're not fake you do not pretend you have no mask there's no hypocrisy see that is the climax of true wisdom and all this wisdom manifests in a person the person of Jesus Christ Christ is the embodiment of all this wisdom and so when we take Christ resident in our life these fruits should be seen should be evident should be perceived by others so as we give ourselves more and more to him we grow in these graces so that we have pure motives and behavior and we're able to show purity show peace show gentleness we become open to reason we are full of mercy and good fruits we are impartial and sincere this is what characterizes true wisdom and then at the end there we see the result and a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace
And so a righteous life will bring a climate of peace. Not bitterness, not selfish ambition, but peace. It's okay to disagree peacefully. We can disagree graciously and kindly and even pray over our disagreements because true wisdom seeks to be at peace with one another. So James has written here two kinds of wisdom for you to need to ask yourself this afternoon. Are you guided by heavenly wisdom or are you guided by wisdom from below? We need to examine your life, whether you're operating in such kind of wisdom. And go to God and ask him to search your heart. And if Christ has not made residence in your life, there will be no harvest of righteousness sown in peace. You have to cry to him, repent of your sins, and allow God to expose to you your sins. And realize that it was your sin that put him to death. He died for your sins. And so wisdom, brethren, as I conclude, as we see that it equals lifestyle. This wisdom comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved into this wisdom. And so once we come into this wisdom, then scripture becomes the source of our wisdom. The Holy Spirit becomes the teacher of this wisdom. And as we began in chapter 1 of James, we are asked by God, if any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. If you're lacking wisdom this day, if you do not know how to apply the word of God to your situation, God says, ask of him. Ask of, ask, ask of him in prayer. And God says he's generous to give you without reproach, without mocking you. So let us bow in prayer. Father, we thank you this afternoon. We thank you for your word. Thank you for its great encouragement to us and its great warnings to us. Help us to live our lives according to it. We pray that Christ will be magnified in our lives. And that should be shown in our conduct. Help us, Lord, that we will seek to live our lives in such a manner that honors you. Help us to walk in wisdom and in the meekness of it. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.